invite you to take your scriptures and turn back to Daniel chapter 2, if you would, 737, if you're using a pew Bible. Children dismissed for junior church. Sorry about that. Thank you. Daniel 1, we said last week in review, was a tale of two cities. And the key question was, as Daniel and his three friends were deported and exiled in Babylon, not so much which city they lived in, but which city they would live for. The two cities definitely had completely different mindsets and worldviews and perspectives. We ask the question, how can you live pro-God in an anti-God culture and world? The answer was, we said it took us two weeks, you need to know who God is, and you need to know who you are, and then you need to keep those two connected. And today's passage in Daniel 2, it's not the tale of two cities, rather it's the tale of two wisdoms. And truthfully, this is how God says we're going to do that. How do we keep... God's identity and our identity connected together in the culture in which we live. And you're going to need his wisdom to do that. So today's key question is not just so much mainly about which wisdom you learn. Because in the text you're going to see that Daniel and his three friends, they learned Babylonian wisdom. In fact, they became wiser than all the wise men. But the question is not which wisdom you will learn, but which wisdom you will live There's a slide on the screen I thought it would be better to show you that this whole chapter is a setup to contrast human wisdom with divine wisdom or man's wisdom with God's wisdom. And you can see the verses there for yourself on the screen behind me that the first three times it's mentioned in 1, 4, 17, and 20, Daniel has talked about the time where he is learning from Babylon University all the wisdom that man has to offer. And they went through all the literature, read the books, took the courses, the classes, and they were steeped in and taught all the wisdom that man has to offer. Next one is about divine wisdom. In the latter half of the chapter, uh, God is very quick to point out through Daniel that chapter 2 and verse 20, wisdom belongs to God. 2.21, he's the one who dispenses it. He gives wisdom, and he gives it to whoever he wants to give it to. uh, 2.23, Daniel says, for you have given me wisdom. And so the whole chapter is set up for us to be able to debate which one and which wisdom is superior, human wisdom or man's wisdom. And it's really set up for us with a couple verses in particular. Let me show them to you as I read them again. Chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. It writes, The Chaldeans answered the king and said, and here's the dilemma. No one had ever asked someone to say, hey, I had a special revelation, it was a dream, and, and you're supposed to tell me the dream and the interpretation. Dreams were commonplace in some ways, and the job of the magician, the enchanter, the sorcerer, the Chaldean, all those terms, their job was to give interpretations. But no one had ever asked for both. No one had ever asked, tell me what I dreamed, and then also tell me what it means and its significance. But that's what the king was asking. And to everyone else 
who was a wise man in Babylon, this would have been an impossibility. And it's very much stated that way. There is not a man on earth. You're asking something that nobody can do. There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or a Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult. Listen, to this. and no one, no one, there are no exceptions. No one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. So it was an impossibility. I, I, the Bible isn't really state why Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar asked of this since no one had ever done it before. Maybe he thought that the wisdom of the uh, astrologers and the enchanters and the magicians was bogus. Maybe he didn't trust them. Maybe he thought they were getting off easy, always giving interpretation that no one could argue against because they knew the dream. So he wanted to put them to the test. No one really knows for sure. But what it does do contextually in the chapter is set up this contrast that I'm talking to you about between God's wisdom and man's wisdom. So let me just give you a couple points today, and I want you to follow me because this is actually a pretty crucial lesson for us to learn. First thing the text teaches us about this contrast between human and divine wisdom is this. True wisdom finds its source in God. True wisdom finds its source in God. Later on in the chapter, if you look there with me in 227 and 28, it says, no wise men, no wise man is able to do this. But Daniel says this, I know that you said that before, that nobody could figure out the dream and the interpretation. And then he makes this statement, and I love it. He says, but there is a God in heaven. Notice he didn't say, but I can do it. He says, you don't have the wisdom, and they didn't. It was impossible. They couldn't come up with what the dream was. Therefore, they were about to die. They didn't have that kind of wisdom. But there is a God in heaven. In fact, that little phrase, the God of heaven, is used four times. Verse 18, 19, 28, 37. And the idea is, using it over and over again, is to make a clear contrast between the gods on earth who can't dispel good wisdom and the God who is in heaven who has all wisdom. James says it very clearly in the New Testament in chapter 3 where he says, you know what Christians use? We use wisdom that is from above, not from below because the below wisdom is earthly, sensual. Listen, and the source is the devil. But he says, but we use wisdom that is from above. And then he describes all of its character qualities. So the Bible puts it very clearly from the very beginning with Adam and Eve to the end of Revelation that there are two wisdoms. And listen, listen, every single person in here, whether on the main floor or on the balcony today, every person in here lives according to one of those two wisdoms. You made choices today to come to church that was based on one of those wisdoms. You will make choices this week about how you will uh, work through your marriage difficulties and how you will spend your money and how you use your time and what your morals and your values and your priorities are. Those will all be based on the wisdom that you choose to live from. So the question that the text begs of all of us today that I want to ask and make it very clear today is this. Who or what is your source of wisdom? Proverbs 1.7 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
You see, Proverbs was not a book set up just to give us wisdom principles. It was a book set up to make us wise people, to have a certain kind of person. That's what it is. And see, in Daniel's day, he stood out and made himself and his three friends were very distinctive. You know why? Because they were a certain kind of person that God endowed with his wisdom. And it made them different than everybody else and they live that way, hear me, because this is all of us today. Whether you're a teenager, a single, or a married person, whether you're young or old, listen, all of us are surrounded constantly by alternative sources of wisdom. Some of them, like in their day, are explicitly religious. In our day, a lot of religions around us, many of them I would call cults, are trying to tell you that this is how you should live. This is the purpose for your life. This is why you exist. This is how you can know God. And so many of them, if not the vast majority of them, outside of biblical Christianity, are wrong. But it's more than that. It's not just the explicit religious wisdom, quote-unquote, that's out there. There are some explicitly secular sources that are out there. And I think for the church and the vast majority of people who profess to be Christians, this would be the biggest problem. That we think that there is political wisdom out there. May I say it as nice as I can? True wisdom is found in God's house, not the White House. And we think that there is wisdom to be found in Hollywood wisdom and it almost makes me laugh that there's somehow wisdom by these celebrities and people who are on the movies and all of those sort of things. Can I tell you, there is no wisdom in movie stars or great singers. Because you have a great talent does not mean you have a great wisdom. I hope we figured that out already. There is not, there are, let me tell you this, there is no true wisdom with sports heroes and celebrities in athletics. They are not, by and large, people to be emulated. Their wisdom and practice of life is not to be found to be an example for us or our children, even though they can dunk a ball or throw one and make millions of dollars. You see, the wisdom of the world always looks outwardly impressive. It has impressive credentials and degrees behind their names and often achievements and accolades of worldly success. The influence in high places in our society. But can I tell you, there is no true wisdom there. There is no true wisdom in our business world. And I read book after book of people trying to tell that pastors should behave like executives. And we should market and do all the strategies that everybody else does. Can I tell you, there is no true lasting wisdom there. And certainly there's none on the television, not on talk show hosts. Please don't turn to Oprah for wisdom or late night talk show host people. Hopefully you're already in bed. Can I tell you this? There is no true wisdom in higher level learning. There is no true wisdom in the universities, the secular universities of our day. There is no true, listen young people, there is no true wisdom in the magazines our world puts out. Can I tell you, Vogue, or whatever it is, Cosmopolitan, teen magazines, can I tell you this? There's nothing there. There's no, and worse than that, there's evil there. See, the wisdom of our world, if you haven't figured it out already, always ends up as an empty sham empty. 
They don't, the wisdom of our world does not even know where life begins as we continue to abort millions of babies. Our world does not know the difference between a male and a female any longer. The genders have become blurred. Our world does not know that there is only one race, and the skin color that you have, black, white, or anything else, is not who you are. They don't know what marriage is about as the divorce rate escalates over 50%. But yet we still turn there for our, their advice. And we think that we can find wisdom about how to learn, live our lives that way. And so we allow our children to pursue their courses of life and think that somehow a sports career or more education that pushes God to the periphery and margins of our lives and many of our teens who don't have time to come on church on Wednesday night and do other things because they're too busy pursuing things that will give them worldly wisdom. And that's what our parents think will be the greatest thing for them. We all have questions, don't we? Simple, practical questions that wisdom needs to be applied to. Should we let our kids have a cell phone? When should they have it, if ever? Should they be allowed to watch and, and be interactive on social media? We're learning the hard way that we need to postpone it as long as we can. How do you decide where to send your kids to school? Should you let your kids stay overnight at someone's house? Should you date? If you should, who should it be? Who will you marry? What job should you take? Should you move to this location, to this city? What house should you live in? How should we handle our finances? How will I even view retirement? See, all of these questions are wisdom answers. We need wisdom for answering those questions. So does it matter that we have the right kind of wisdom? It absolutely matters. It matters every day in small ways, in large ways. Adam and Eve found out the hard way. When God says, here's wisdom, you can have all of these trees and all the fruit that's on them except these. Satan says, Get, let me give you an alternate wisdom. Because when she looked at the tree, Genesis 3, 6, it says it was desired to make one wise. Wise in what way? Wise apart from God. That's what Satan offers. And can I say too often, that's what God's people choose. We choose to have a wisdom apart from God and who he is. And then when it falls apart and our children don't turn away from God, as they grow older, they leave the church. And the epidemic, quote unquote, nowadays is 18 to 25 year olds who leave the church. And then we wonder why when we let them have the wisdom of the world all through high school, pursuing everything but God. And when they get on their own, and have the ability to choose and they don't want him. And we're surprised. Saul started out well as a king. God said he was bigger and taller than anyone else and at the beginning did great things. But eventually he began to have a pattern exude from his life. You know what it was? Finding other sources of wisdom. He was waiting on Saul to do the sacrifice, but he couldn't wait because Saul was a little wait, late. So he said, let me use my wisdom. I'll just sacrifice myself. Big mistake. And God ripped the kingdom from him. Eventually, that sort of pattern of choosing his wisdom over God's eventually led him to the end of his life to a place he never could have seen coming, 
where he's on the battlefield the next day wanting to know if it's going to turn out all right. And instead of asking God about the battle like all good kings should in Israel, he goes to a witch which he had outlawed and said it was a capital punishment if you went to anyone who was a medium. But he himself does it. Because the pattern of his life had been this. I now need wisdom and it's not God's that I need. He ends up dying on the battlefield having his own soldier kill him so that they wouldn't torture him as the enemy came in. Because that's where the world's wisdom leads. Can I tell you nicely and lovingly? Listen, young people, parents, it's a sham. It's empty It's hollow. True wisdom is found in God and having a relationship with him. Did you notice in verses 16 through 18 in our chapter, Daniel is confronted with a crisis like many of you will be this year in one shape or form. Daniel proves what is his daily source of wisdom, what he depends on, what he thinks is the best route to take in any situation. You know how he proves it? Because when he hears that he is going to be called on to to tell a dream and its interpretation, which he cannot do on his own, you know what he does? He does not exhort, he doesn't look for a book or go back to the notes he took in class. He doesn't think about the human wisdom that he learned in the Babylonian university. He doesn't do anything. You know what he does? He praise he prays as a young teenager who's probably the age of a senior in high school he prays you know why because wisdom starts with a relationship with god and daniel had a vibrant robust daily relationship with god and when crisis hit his life the pattern was His default was this, I seek God's help and wisdom. See, wisdom is not, is not about just knowing facts. It's not about having particular insights in a field of your own expertise. It is not about the experiences that you accumulate so that you can be smarter than others who have not had that experience. No, wisdom is about knowing God and the wisest people in the world seek God first. You've probably seen, I'm going to put this slide on the, on the screen, you've probably seen a form of this in a bumper, bumper sticker on people's cars. I'm going to change it to fit our message. No God, no wisdom. Now listen, you know what the difference was in Daniel's life? Why he had wisdom when he was, listen, a teenager, when all the other magicians and enchanters and Chaldeans were far older than him, studied wisdom longer than him. He was better than his teachers. Why? Because he knew God. He knew God, therefore he knew wisdom. Next one is this, equally true. No God, no wisdom. The difference between Daniel and all the other people who were wise men, and the Bible calls them wise men seven times in chapter 2. Eventually, Daniel becomes the chief and prefect over all the wise men. Here he is, the guy low on the totem pole, youngest probably of everybody, rises to the top. What was the difference? Because God's wisdom is always superior to man's wisdom. So who is God? He's wisdom. Who is Daniel? He's someone who needs 
wisdom. There is a book written, in fact, there are more than one book written, and I've been asked this question more than once, and I've alluded to it this morning already. Why do 18 through 25-year-olds people who grow up mainly in the church, when they get old enough to be on their own, decide that they don't want to go to that church anymore? In fact, more than that, mainly decide they don't want to go to church, period. Well, I think the text tells us. I think it's quite clear. To know God, know God, know wisdom. Know God, no wisdom. Why are people, our young people, turning away from God by the droves, or so it's reported? I looked at Daniel 2, and here's what I looked at. Here are some teenagers, listen to this, they have no church. They have no synagogue. They have no copies of their Bible. They have no parents to give them guidance and instruction to help them make right choices. But yet, these teenagers in a culture that is anti-God, who purports and surrounds them with an alternative wisdom that if they heeded it would completely destroy their lives and relationship with God, stand true to God and choose his wisdom no matter what. How are they doing it? Can I tell you clearly? They know God. And I'm afraid that we are raising a generation of young people who come to our church but do not know our God. Because no God, no wisdom. I've looked for examples in Scripture where generations turned away from God. Judges too, the people who followed Joshua and Moses out of the promised land, saw all the miraculous things and had that. But the later generations, it says, they left God behind and they left the big God. And let me tell you this, here's a principle that applies to all of life. No one ever leaves something for nothing. It's true in marriage. It's true in business. It's true in your relationship with God. No one ever leaves big G God unless they're leaving him for little g God. And in Judges 2, surrounded by alternative wisdom of all the gods and people of the Canaanite religions, the reason that generation left God, I believe, is the same reason ours is. It's because they've bought into the cultures around them and have adopted the religions and the thinking and the wisdom of the little g gods that surround them. Colossians 2.3 says this of Jesus. And whom are hidden all the treasures, keep that word in your mind, of wisdom and knowledge. Treasures. Things that matter most. Here's what God says. In Jesus, my son, here is what you ought to value. These are the things that you ought to prize. This is the insight that matters most. And by and large, so many, can I say burdenly, too many of our young people do not find Jesus to hold those treasures. Those treasures are to be found on TV and in sports and some education or this or that and the other things that the world offers. And we have raised a generation that do not choose his wisdom over the world no matter what. And I think the reason is, by and large, no wisdom because there is no God. True wisdom's origin is God, Daniel would say, not a book, not a class, not a leader, hear me, not your friends. Daniel goes 
when faced with the crisis to his friends. But you know in the text I've read it, he never asked them any advice. He says, you know what we all need? We need God. I don't need to hear what you say, and you don't need to hear what I say. We need to hear what he says. When I was 16, I don't know if anyone who has a teenager in their home has ever experienced this, but when I was 16, I don't know why it's magical, but I really thought that my parents were okay, but I had become smarter. (laughs) I thought now at the age of 16, I mean, that's a lot of years, right? I mean, I was a sophomore. I didn't understand sophomore meant wise fool at the time. But I was a sophomore, had a couple more years, and I would be graduated because I didn't know any better. And I thought that I knew better. Then I started telling my parents, hey, you don't need to tell me that. I can go to bed when I want. I can get up when I want. You know, you don't need to tell me to do my homework. I can handle it. I'm 16. And my dad simply said to me, that's great. You get up when you want. You go to bed when you want. You do your homework when you want. And you pay for it all. I said, well, I'm not that smart anymore, I don't think. (laughs) I had to find out the hard way, isn't it? That 16, I'm, I'm not very wise. And I thought when I was 26, and then my wife made me figure out pretty quickly, I wasn't very wise yet. And then 36 and 46 and coming up on 56, scary. I realized I've just begun to even know what wisdom is. But see, we need God's wisdom. And you would say, oh, Pastor Walker, you're preaching to the choir. Come on. I mean, you're telling me I need God's wisdom. Am I not here at church, really? Am I a Christian? Yeah. Can I ask you this? You don't answer out loud, of course. Probably wouldn't be wise. See, are there days that you go without getting into the Bible? Days? Weeks? Months? Are there times where you say, I'm just so busy today, I can't pray? Guess what you just told God? I really don't need your wisdom today. I can handle it. Now we all think that's what 16-year-old people say, but it isn't true, is it? It's one thing to tell it to your parents. It's another thing to tell it to God. And don't we do it? God, I, I, got, you know, I got a plane to catch. Uh, you, you see all the things I got to do at work? I, God, I don't have time for the word. He says, don't you understand? You don't have any wisdom apart from me. Don't you get it? And isn't it true? Isn't this just as true as it could be that you would be foolish? Wouldn't you just be a fool to ignore God through the, not reading your Bible and praying every day? Wouldn't it be just foolish to do it perfunctory or just do it in a crisis or emergency or I have a meal and I pray, God, thank you for this food and think that I'm spirit? Really, do we think that that's wisdom? See, can I tell you this? True wisdom understands this, that there is a mentality that comes with it, a mentality that comes with it. Here's the mentality. He saw this dream. He had this big statue, gold head, silver, bronze, iron, clay, all the way from head to toe, literally. And then he sees in this dream that there's this stone, and this huge stone, which the New Testament says Jesus is the stone, and and takes this passage and tells you Jesus is the stone that crushes all the other ones. 
And this stone smashes the gold, the silver, all the way from top to bottom into little pieces so small and infinitesimal that they are like chaff on the floor of a winnowing floor that the wind comes and they're gone. They seem so great at the time. I mean, the gold, the Babylon, this great Babylon, and it seems so great. Just like you think of America. Oh, America's so great. We've got us music and the malls and the food and the, and the safety and the freedom and the convenience and the technology. And we think it's so great. And God says this. That's what America is. That's all it is. And God says there's a kingdom coming that my son Jesus, the stone, is going to crush all of those kingdoms into powder. And he says, and they won't longer, any longer be there. And it says this in verse 44, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall, listen to this, shall never be destroyed. So here's the message. Despite all appearances, here it is, despite all appearances of what may seem to be true, Daniel, as you look out at Nebuchadnezzar and the power of Babylon, they are nothing. That's the truth. And that's wisdom. Wisdom has the ability, because it gives this mindset, that I see everything in the present by what God says is true in the future. Do you get that? That's why this book ends with six chapters of prophecy. Not to salve our curiosity about the future, but it'll change how we live in the present. That's what it's for, he says. And the proof of the reality of that wisdom is this. The story ends, remember how it began? Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon, world power, most powerful man in the world is dictating that all the Babylonian wise men are going to die. Daniel and his friends being three or four of them. By the end of the chapter, in a very short period of time, it goes from Nebuchadnezzar giving out these commands to kill people that the very person he wanted killed, i.e. Daniel, is standing before him. And where is Nebuchadnezzar? Well, he's on his face worshiping Daniel because his God is the God of all gods. Tell me that God's wisdom isn't supreme. He is. It's supreme. He is above all gods. And the most powerful man and army, and they are all prostrate. Where? Before this young teenage exile who said this, that I will use God's wisdom in my life no matter what. Because God says this, he controls the future, he knows the plans, and here's how the story ends. God crushes them all. That's how it ends. So here's what he says, then why don't you live that way? Why don't you live as if God is in control and the future is secure and that America is really nothing in comparison why is it that we as parents don't do that? Why don't we have our children do that? Why is it as a church that we don't? Why as individuals do we live out a completely antithetical wisdom to who God is and what we need? But don't be fooled as I close. Don't think, because there's a mentality that wisdom brings. The mentality is I don't live by the present. I live by the future that controls the present. But listen to this, I know this, that when I choose true wisdom, no matter what, sometimes the rewards are now, because the chapter says this, Daniel got great honors, high exaltation, he was moved over the province of Babylon, he made Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he exalted them, and it's great, isn't it? 
But in chapter 3, next week, Lord willing, you know what you're going to see? They go from all of that to the fiery furnace. Because we do not choose to follow God's true wisdom because of what it can do for us. It may exalt us, and we may end up in the fiery furnace as a result. We use true wisdom because it's right in the eyes of God. And the goal of everything in Daniel's life, and by the grace of God ours, would be to point to him that his wisdom, his wisdom, not ours, not the world's, would be displayed in our life. Amen? Let's close in prayer. I chose our closing hymn today mainly because of the first verse. Immortal, invisible, God only wise. And the word that stands out in my mind, only. He's only. It's not because there isn't insight and perspective in the world. It's not because they don't have insights about certain things. But can I say true wisdom? True wisdom finds its source in God. And that's where we need to live to make our choices. It's his world, and only he can give us wisdom to live rightly in it. And maybe you're here this morning as a young person, maybe as an adult, and that's not how your life has worked. And you've been borrowing from another wisdom. See, don't make the mistake of Adam and Eve. Don't make the mistake of King Saul and others throughout the scriptures who thought there were other sources of wisdom that were better so that you can get success and immediate results. Is that how you run your marriage? Raise your kids? Work your business? Or is it God's wisdom? Father, you are wisdom. And you have told us in Proverbs that we need to get wisdom. And with all thy getting, get understanding. Father, We don't need to know dreams today. It's not your revealed revelation that we have today. It's your recorded revelation. And both sources of wisdom are so great. And we have the revealed one. We have the Bible in front of us. And yet, and yet, too often God's people turn to alternate resources and sources of wisdom And they don't see what it's doing to them and to their children, to their marriage, to their lives, and perhaps to their eternity. Awaken us, O God, by your Spirit to true wisdom that it might permeate everything we do. In Jesus' name, amen.